0: All right, well, good morning again, church, morning. and uh, looking forward to celebrating Mother's Day here with you guys, and the way we're doing it, uh, for those of you who were here last week, as we said, this was going to be more of a standalone message. Um, we, we wanted to make sure that we address this, this concept and celebrate this, this holiday of, of Mother's Day, and so to do that, what we're going to do is we are going to be looking at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, the book of Proverbs is found in the Old Testament. And so I want you to go ahead and turn to Proverbs uh, 31 verses 10 through 31. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read it and then uh, we'll jump in. And if you're looking for a Bible, you don't have a Bible with you, there's no problem. There's some Bibles in that white rack back there. You could go ahead and grab one there. Um, If not, the passage will be here on the screen behind me. So Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Here's what it says. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the the staff and grabs the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. It's the word of the Lord. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to be addressing what can easily, easily be a very legalistic passage, okay? And if you're a woman here and you've been walking with Jesus for any extended period of time, there's a good chance that you have been in a Bible study that has addressed Proverbs 31. But for some reason, I don't know why, but women ministries act like this is the only passage in Scripture, okay? (laughs) Okay? So if you have been in any sort of women's ministry, you've probably heard it multiple times, okay? Now, here's the thing. Whenever you preach a passage like this, especially Proverbs 31, there tends to be two responses that you get from women, by and large, right? There's pretty much two responses, and and actually, just kind of a spoiler, neither of them are biblical, okay? The the first response that women have when it comes to this passage, and they both start with R, because you know how I love my alliteration, okay, the first response is, is religion. Women respond with religion. And here's what I mean. They they hear a sermon on this, and they're like, okay, pastor, tell me exactly what I have to do. I'm going to write it down line by line, step by step, and I am going to be the woman in Proverbs 31. If it's the last thing I do, I will be this woman. That's the first response. That's the religious response. Okay? The second response, which is another R word, which actually tends to happen after you've tried the first response enough, is rejection, okay? So you try religion, and then when you fail that religion, you try rejection. Here's what rejection is. Rejection is, listen, man, I've heard this passage so many times. I've tried all these things, and I'm a hot mess. I can't do it, so I'm going to just reject the whole thing and act like the passage isn't there because I tried, and I can't do it. It's unrealistic, so I'm done, Okay? Now, here's the thing, and, 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 and I, know, I know this because I'm married to a woman. Here's what I know about women, okay? Women almost always have certain friends that they compare themselves to, right? So there's the one friend that when you go to her house, she has, her house is very nicely decorated, right? So when you come back, you're like, man, my house is a mess. Look at this. It's, hers is so nice and decorated, and I don't know where she gets all that stuff. It's so nice. She's the decorating friend. So she makes you feel bad because you can't decorate as good as she does, right? Then you have the mom who's the, the, the friend who's like a really good mom, right? And when you hang out with her, she never gets angry, she never loses her cool, like she's just the best mom ever. And then you come home and you cuss your kid out, and you're like, man, why can't I be like that friend, right? then you have the pretty friend, and you have the trendy friend, and you have the one who's in shape, and and we all have friends who make us feel bad in certain areas, and me being the the, the pastor that I am at my home, here's the advice that I've given my wife, right? Like, you would think I would tell her, hey, don't compare yourself, find your identity in Jesus. My advice has been, listen, if you have a good-looking friend, then go find an ugly one, (laughs) okay? Like, (laughs) if you you go find an ugly friend, she's going to make you feel great, okay? Like, (laughs) this is what it is, so... (laughs) Find someone who's a hot mess, and you're like, man, I I feel wonderful. You know what I mean? That's my pastoral advice. Don't take it. Okay? But here's the thing. Those are the two responses. So, so, So the one response is, it's all up to me, religion. I'm going to do this. I'm going to become this woman by grit and by hard work and dedication. Or the next response, after you've tried that long enough is just all-out, full-blown rejection. I can't be this person. And here's the problem with the woman in Proverbs 31. She's like that one friend who's better than you at everything. So when you hang out with her, you walk back and you're like, what can I possibly do better than her? So at least you're friends. There's one thing she's better than you at, but then you're better at something else. But this woman is better than you at everything. So every time you spend any type of time with her, you leave with a bunch of guilt and a bunch of shame And uh, uh, you feel overwhelmed. How can I ever live up to that? And so if the, the proper response to this passage is not religion or rejection, then the question is, what is the proper response to Proverbs 31? Well, I'm glad you asked, because this morning, that's what we are going to look at. And what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at Proverbs 31 under four headings, okay? Four headings. Here's the first thing we're going to see this morning. The first truth we're going to see is we're going to look at her worth. The first characteristic that this woman displays is her worth. The second characteristic that she displays is her works. The third characteristic is her witness, and then the fourth characteristic is her worship. And as we go through this list, what we're going to see is that these things could be true of a woman who's married, a woman who's widowed, a woman who's divorced, a woman who's single. So I'm talking to all women this morning, okay? Okay. So let's begin by looking at the first characteristic, which is her worth. Look what it says in Proverbs 10, and then later on in uh, Proverbs 31, verse 10, and then later on in verse 29. It says, A wife of noble character, the word noble there means valiant, it means brave. Okay? It actually was a Hebrew word that was used to describe warriors and soldiers. A wife of noble, valiant character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Verse 29, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. So the first thing I want you to see here in this passage is I want you to see her worth. This woman is incredibly valuable. She has high worth. But here's what's interesting. Her value has nothing to do with what she does. Okay, I'm going to say that again because some of you either didn't hear me or don't believe me. Okay? Okay? Her value has nothing to do with what she does. One of the things that happens with this passage is people can be so legalistic, they jump right into all the things that she does that we need to do and completely miss the fact that her value and her worth are not grounded in what she does externally, but in who she is internally. So so her value comes from her being, not from her doing. Her value, listen to this, comes from her being a daughter of God, not being a mother of her children. Her value comes from being a daughter, not from being a mother. What we see here in this passage is that her initiative is a result of her identity. Her activity is a result of her approval. Her work is a result of her worth. In other words, she's doing the things she does, not in order to get approval, but because she's already been approved. Listen, women, for some of you, that's the only thing you need to hear today, that your value does not come from your external competency, but it comes from your inward condition in Christ. That changes the way you parent. That changes the way, you, 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 you're, the way you're married. That changes the way you handle money. That changes the way you do everything if you really, really understand that. And that's why if someone preaches Proverbs 31 in any other way without first starting here, then they're preaching it in the wrong context. Because it's not what she does that defines her, but it's what's been done for her in Christ that defines her. If you don't get that, the rest of the proverb will make no sense. All you will hear from me is a list of legalistic rules that you have to do in order to be accepted by God. and That's not what Proverbs 31 is about. It's the furthest thing from the truth. That's why in the passage it says that who can find her? It talks about how rare this woman is. Listen, the reason why you have to believe this, the reason why you have to wrestle with yourself every single day to believe this truth is because the world is telling you the exact opposite. Every single day you get up, the world tells you that your acceptance and your approval and your value comes from what you do and how you look and how much you produce. But when you look at the New Testament, Peter says the same thing. This is a passage that we looked at uh, a few months ago. It says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, He doesn't say that's bad, but he says your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. He says, verse 4, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, listen to this, which is of great worth in God's sight. Every morning you have to ask yourself a question, who do do you want to be worthy of? in front of. Whose gaze are you worried about? Whose voice are you listening to? Some of you get up as believers and act like God has never said anything about you. And so you go out like a vacuum looking to fill yourself with the approval and the, the praise of your spouse and your children and your friends and your boyfriend. But what you need to see here is that the only view that matters, the only sight that matters is God's sight of you. And if God sees you as worthy, then it doesn't matter what the world says. It's not your performance. It's not your appearance. It's not your production. It's not what you do for Christ, but what Christ has done for you. We really need to believe this, women. It changes not just the passage, but it changes your life. And here's the reason why you have to make this decision now. Because if the, the end goal matters. If you think that the most important thing is your outward performance, then the path that you will take is radically different than if you believe that, that the most important, most valuable thing is your inner condition in Christ. There's two different paths. You can't walk down both at the same time. And right now, you're either going in this direction thinking it's what you do, or you're going in that direction because of what he's done. The question you have to ask yourself is, which path are you on? Because one's biblical and the other one's not. One's Jesus and the other one's Pharisees. So, the first thing you see here is we see her worth. The second truth that I want to look at this morning That's really important, but I don't want you to miss the first one. I I want you to understand the second one in light of the first one because her works are a result of her worth, okay? They are a consequence of her worth. They are a side effect of her worth. But the second characteristic that I want you to see here is her works. This is a woman who has many works. Look what it says in the passage. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what I did is I actually just put all the verbs. You can tell this woman is doing a lot of work. There's a lot of verbs in this passage. Verse 13, she selects. Verse 15, she gets up. Verse 16, she considers. Verse 17, she sets. Verse 18, she sees. Verse 19, she holds. Verse 20, she opens. Verse 22, she makes. Verse 24, she makes. Verse 27, she watches. So this woman does a lot of works. She is a busy, busy person. Now, if if, if I'm not careful, this is where it can get very legalistic. Because here's what a lot of pastors do. They take this passage, they get into the weeds and they'll say uh, uh, in light of this passage, you have to stay at home. In light of this passage, you have to go work. In light of this passage, you have, to be, you have to shut up. In light of this passage, you have to speak up. In light of this passage, you have to be a feminist. In light of the passage, you have, to be, you, know, you have to hate men. Whatever it is, I'm not getting into the weeds because that's not what the passage wants us to do. What I want you to see is a few things about this woman and how she works. The first thing I want you to see is that she is very hardworking so one of the things you can take away as a woman is that if you're lazy, you're sinning. And I know that not just because of this passage, but because Proverbs destroys lazy people. All throughout the book of the Proverbs, lazy people are being destroyed again and again and again and again. So, so regardless of what you're working at, you have to be working on something. Whether you're single or whether you're a student or whether you're a worker or whether you're a mother or a spouse, it, there's no such thing as a lazy daughter of Christ. So if you're lazy, there's a problem. So the first thing I want you to see is she's hardworking, but the second thing I want you to see, and I don't, you can't really see this in the passage, but you can in what I have up here, but you can look at it if you look at the passage. All her work is others focused. So she's busy serving others, not serving herself. And this is something that single women can fall into. You're doing a lot of things, but a lot of the things that you're doing are you focused, not others focused but you focus. And what I want you to see, one of the principles we can take away from how she works is that most of what she does is focused on others. Here's why. Listen, listen, listen. I don't want you to miss this. This is why I want you to connect the first point to the second point. The reason why her work can be focused on others is because her identity and her value come from Jesus. When you forget your identity in Christ, you go looking for identity in the people around you. When you forget that you're already approved of, you go looking for approval in the people around you. So the reason why her work is others' focus is because she already has been considered and loved and accepted and applauded and approved of by Jesus. That's how God sees her in Christ. So she can serve with a full bucket, a full tank, and she's not going around trying like a vacuum trying to get people to fill what has already been filled by Jesus. The only way your work become outer others' focus is when you understand that Jesus has done everything for you already. I can love you, I can serve you with no strings attached because my tank has been filled by the gospel. I don't need anything from you. I love you, but I don't worship you because I have Jesus in the proper place. That's why this is so important, okay? So she's hardworking, she's others-focused, but I also want you to see how multidimensional she is. She's not just good at cooking, she's not just good at working, and she's doing big things, like she's doing what we would think as historically women things. But then she's also doing what we would think as historical male things. Like she's out there buying land and making purchases and doing all these things. She's putting in work. I actually I don't even know what her husband's doing because she's doing everything, apparently. <laughs> that brother's at Home Watching Sports Center, apparently. <laughs> but she's multi dimensional. Here's why this is so important. Listen, young women in particular, you don't have to just do one thing. You, the, the, the Bible says that you are to do everything, uh, Colossians 3.23, do everything with all your heart as to the Lord and not to man, everything. In, in the Greek, everything means everything. You don't have to be one-dimensional. You can be good at many things, and you should give yourself over to the things that God's calling you to do. But what I love about this is that it, it, here's where I think people can get legalistic. They get into the weeds, and they're like, well, you have to be married, and you have to be a mother, and you have... No, because there's things there that maybe if you're single, you can't do because you're not married, and you don't have kids. And one of the things that you see here is that she's clearly a wealthy woman because she's investing and buying and trading. So if you're broke, you're in trouble, <laughs> right? Right? My wife goes to, to Target for a, for, a, for a trip, and I'm like, hey, what are you buying? Because we're broke, okay? Like, she's not investing in any land. Like, <laughs> I'm getting mad if she gets laundry detergent because we're so broke, okay? So clearly, it's not one of those one-to-one things where you have to do exactly what she does because there's things that are true of her that might not be true of you. But what I want you to see is that she's diversified in what she does. She gives herself over to everything. And I love it because it goes against the Christian stereotype of women. This woman, she does a lot. One of the things that the Bible says in Genesis is God tells Adam and Eve to subdue creation. And a lot of times, we women act like they weren't given that command. But she doesn't let that happen. So I want you to see her work. I want you to see how much she works, okay? But here's the other thing I want you to see, and this is really important. Because even as I give you this list, this can still kind of feel legalistic. It can almost feel like, how in the world can I ever do all the things that this woman does? But here's what I found out this week that was very interesting as I looked at the commentaries. Every verb here is in the past tense. So here's what this means. This woman is not doing all those things at once. They are looking back at her life. So this is a summary of not one week of her life. It's a summary of her entire life. Okay, so be encouraged if you're sitting here, you're like, I got to do more. Clearly, I'm not doing enough. Clearly, I'm not checking off enough boxes here. No, no, this is a summary of her life. It's all in the past tense. So it's someone looking at her legacy, not looking at her week. Okay, so I'm not sure if that encourages you at all, but just know that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, so you see her works. She's not defined by her works. Her definition, her value, her acceptance comes from her worth, but her worth results in works. Okay? So, the first thing we see about this woman is we see her worth. The second thing, characteristic that we see in this woman, is we see her works. The third thing I want you to see is her witness. Her witness. Look what it says in Proverbs 31. We're going to move a little bit in this one. There's a few verses I want to read. But I want you to see her witness. And here's what I mean by her witness. I want you to see how other people talk about her. What the people around her say about her and how they view her. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Then it says in verse 23, It says, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed. And children, for those of you who are here, you better be calling your mom blessed, especially today, okay? If you got up and said, hey, mom, where's my toast? Then you're not doing it right, okay? (laughs) Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And look what her husband says. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So I want you to see that there are three layers to the witnesses that she has in her life. I want you to see it as almost three concentric circles. There's an outer circle, there's a middle circle, and there's an inner circle, okay? The outer circle are the, are the people who are her acquaintances, the people who see her from the outside. Those are the people at the city because it says it in verse 31, and her works bring praise her praise at the city gate. So the outer ring are the people in your city. Okay, so whether you're married or single or divorced or widow, there are people who are in your outer ring. The people who know you, who people maybe who meet you at a restaurant or at a store, who know you a little bit. Maybe it's someone who goes to church here with you, who kind of knows you, but doesn't fully know you. That's the first ring. Then the middle ring is her children. If you go back to the previous slide, the middle ring is her children, which is her children arise and call her blessed. That's the middle ring. And then the inner ring is her spouse. Her husband also praises her. Okay. So what we see is that there's three layers to the witnesses that she has in her life. And like I said, if you're single or, or divorced or wherever you are in your in your current walk of life, your current season, you also had three layers. It might not be a husband or children, but everyone has layers to the witnesses in their life. Now here's what I want you to see. When you look at the things that they say of her, when you look at the way that they view of her, they view her, what you see is that there's an integrity in this woman. So she's the same person everywhere she goes. I didn't say she's perfect everywhere she goes, but she's the same person everywhere she goes. See, one of the reasons why I say awkward things here and controversial things here from the stage is because that's what I do when I'm not on the stage. In other words, I want to say things on stage that I would say to you if we were on vacation somewhere. I don't want to act different in Mexico than I do here. right? That's what integrity is. Integrity is you being the same person everywhere you go, regardless of where that is, whether that's more like Jesus or less like Jesus, but it's the same person everywhere you go. What I want you to see from this woman is her integrity, that at every layer of her life, people view her the same because she's the same person everywhere she goes, okay? And the reason why she can be the same person, the reason why a lot of women aren't the same person everywhere they go is because they haven't found their identity and acceptance in Jesus. And when they go out looking for it in people, they end up changing their behavior depending on what stage they find themselves on. And so I'm at work, so i got to behave like a good employee. And I'm at at home, so i got to behave like a good wife. And I'm with my children, so i got to behave like a good mother. And we're constantly looking for approval and applause from the people that we're supposed to be serving, not the people we're supposed to be worshiping. And so we end up changing and changing masks and stages every time we're in a different context. But if you understand that you're already approved and accepted in Jesus, then you can be the same person everywhere you go because that's where your approval comes from. That's where your acceptance comes from. I don't have to come and I can be fully vulnerable about my sin and yet fully thankful because of God's grace because of what Jesus did for me. A, a real gospel-centered woman has a humble confidence. On the one hand, she's humble because she knows she's, sinner, she's more sinful than she could ever have imagined. But on the other hand, she's confident because she knows she's more loved than she could ever have hoped. So I'm, I'm humble because Jesus had to die for me, but then I'm, I, am, I am confident because Jesus was glad to die for me. And so now as a woman, you can be the same person everywhere you go, and you don't have to be defensive, you don't have to be secretive, you can be open because the more you are, the more glory Jesus gets. Okay? So that's why we need to keep that in mind, that, that, that her witness, her witnesses see the same person everywhere she goes. I want to say something very quick. I want to take a little detour for a second, and I want to say something very quick to single men here. Here's why I want to speak to single men. Because even though Proverbs 31 seems like it's written for women, if you actually look at the beginning of Proverbs 31, it's actually written for a young man. It's a mother telling the future king what type of wife he should marry. So the proverb is actually written for men. So if you want to look at the purpose of Proverbs 31, it's not, hey, women, here's who you should be. It's here, hey, young men, here's who you should be looking for. That's actually the purpose of it, right? So let me speak to young men for a second, because this is really important. Because we get a little picture of the type of man that this woman actually marries. The first thing I want you to see is that if you want to be a Proverbs 31 man, you have to change the the way you evaluate women, okay? Here's why. We've said this in the past, that what a lot of men do is they walk into a room, and if there's 10 women... Six of them get eliminated right off the bat because they don't look right. They're too fat or they're too skinny or they're too too much this or too much that. They don't even consider them because they don't look right. The problem with this is that you don't see anything about her beauty in this passage. There's nothing about what she looks like, okay? So, So it's an inward thing. And women, we've talked about this. If the way you get a man is with your body, then that's the way you have to keep him. And you know what the problem with your body is that if the, who you are when you're 20 and any woman here over 50 knows is very different from what you look like when you're 60, okay? So, so men, you cannot make a decision on a, with a woman based on something that's going to decrease over time. If you make a decision based on her appearance, her appearance is going to decrease over time. But if you make a decision based on her character, her character is going to increase over time. You have to be a wise investor. Make an investment in something that will go up in value, not something that will go down in value. So you're evaluating wrong if you're evaluating with any other criteria than the one that's here in Proverbs. But the other thing, men, is that once you finally find a person like this, we've talked about this during the singleness message, you have to be the person that who you're looking for is looking for. You don't sit back and be like, man, I want a Proverbs 31 woman. I'm going to be a a, a Proverbs 21 guy, which is the bitter, you know, uh, sinful guy. But I want a Proverbs 31 girl. though. No, no, that's not how it works. And what we said, and I I brought this up in the first service a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it up here. Here's what what Christian dating should look like. I want you to experience dating like if you were in a car going down an expressway going 70 miles per hour. The people who you're most likely to make eye contact with when you're on the expressway going 70 are not the people going in the opposite direction, but it's the people who are going the same direction you are, okay? Here's what dating a non-Christian looks like. Dating a non-Christian says, I'm going to go over the median and run into another car head on. That's what dating a non-Christian looks like. They're going in a totally different direction, and I'm going to go over the median and boom, explosion, what a beautiful relationship, right? But what you see is that the way that you actually date, the way that you actually get in a relationship, and and, and if you want to be a Christian that honors God, is you go hard after Jesus, and then as you drive go after Jesus, you start looking around and see if anyone else is going after Jesus. And when you find someone who's going just as hard after Jesus, that's the person you want to be with. That's the person you like eyes with. That's the person you want to partner with. Okay? But if your car is stuck on the side of the road, you're not, you're not going to catch that woman because that woman loves Jesus more than you. That's why this is so important, man. You got to evaluate different. You got to equip yourself different. And then when you marry her, this man encourages his wife. He empowers his wife. He equips his wife. He comes alongside his wife. And she's buying and selling and doing all these things, and it's because her husband is saying, Go, do it. Go be who the Lord has called you to be. So I'm not sure where you are in the searching process, man. But there's a lot more work for you to do internally before you start looking externally. Okay? That's really, really important. And what I want to say before I move on to the final point is this. You know, in the passage, it says that you are to rise up and call these women blessed. And I have to tell you guys that I have had the privilege of being married to a Proverbs 31 woman. And my wife has been just such an incredible blessing and partner to me. And I mean this with no exaggeration. There is no way that this church would exist if it wasn't for Lily Franco. I can't tell you how many times in the process of even praying about starting a church, I came home and I was like, nah, no, nah, we can't do this. What am I thinking? There's no way. And she she would always come alongside me, and one of her gifts is spiritual gifts is faith. And she would look five years down the road and she said, There's not a church that fits us. There's no church that around here that fits you and me. So even if we just started for that reason, then hopefully people who are like us will be able to find a place where they can have a family. And she came alongside me and she'd encouraged me at the beginning. She encourages me in the middle. And I told you guys how much I struggle with discouragement. That's always been the way the enemy comes after me. And I tell you how many times I come home and want to quit, and I'm done. That was my last sermon. I'm all, it's over. And it's my wife who comes alongside me. And she doesn't tell me, hey, you're great. She tells me Jesus is great. And your identity is not found in what you do for him, but in what he did for you. And so I praise the Lord. The Bible says who can find a woman of this type? I don't know how many there are, but I know I found one of them. Because that's my wife, Lily. So we've looked at her worth. We've looked at her works. We've looked at her witness. And the last thing I want you to see is I want you to see her worship. This woman is defined and characterized by her worship. Look what it says. I'm gonna have, have a few verses put together here. Look what it says in verse 25 and 26 and then later on in verse 30 about her worship. It says she is clothed. With strength and dignity, she can laugh at the days to come, she speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So what we see here is that the final thing I want you to see, and is interesting, because even though it's the final thing, it's actually the first thing. And here's what I mean. Her, her worship is the most important thing about her. If her life is a house, her worship is the foundation of the house. So even though this, comes, this thing comes last on the list, she actually wouldn't be able to do the other three things if this wasn't present. So even though it's the last thing, it actually is the most important thing and it precedes all the other things, okay? Her worship is the foundation of her worth and her works and her witness. Now, now I want to I explain to you why this is the case and why this is easily the most important part of the message. Hopefully, and I want you to hear the word hopefully now. Hopefully by now, women, you feel discouraged, You feel hopeless, you feel overwhelmed, you feel exasperated, because that's what I was trying to do the whole message, actually. Because a lot of sermons on Proverbs 31 end right here. So the, the, the pastor will get up, he'll get really worked up, and he'll say, okay, okay, okay. So you got, you got to have, you got to have a, a worth, and you got to have works, and you got to have witness, and go and do it. You got this. Here's the thing. The reason why women are so discouraged, the reason why women are so deal with so much shame and guilt is because our culture is constantly putting unrealistic expectations on them giving them no resources to get there, and then telling them to go do it. So what does the church does? The church does, the church goes, gives higher standards, and says, go do it. That makes no sense. That's not the gospel. That's religion. So so listen, listen, if you're sitting here today, and you feel overwhelmed, and you feel guilty, and you feel shamed, and you feel less than, and you feel incapable Praise God. Praise the Lord. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because at the end of the day, Proverbs 31 has nothing to do with you. It really doesn't. Here's how I know. Here's how I know. In the book of Proverbs, from the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, you have this this beautiful thing that Solomon does. He presents two women to his son. He says there's the one woman who's the lady folly, and then there's the other woman who's the lady wisdom. And then in chapter nine, he gives this altar call. He's like, son, who are you going to choose? Are you going to go with Lady Folly or are you going to go with Lady Wisdom? You're living on Main Street, but at some point you have to pick a road. Are you going after Lady Folly or are you going after Lady Wisdom? And then what happens in Proverbs 31, the, the, the author in, of, 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 of uh, Proverbs, he comes back to this woman and he makes her an actual living, breathing person in the real world. He takes this personification of wisdom, this Lady Wisdom, and he says, this is what Lady Wisdom would look like if she was alive. But that woman never lived. That woman doesn't exist. She was never meant to. This whole thing, that's the point of all this. That if someone ends this passage and tells you, you can do it, you're awesome, there's a problem. You can't do it and you're not awesome. That's a big problem. The whole premise is wrong. See, so Proverbs 31, is to, it points us to this lady wisdom, but here's what's crazy about Proverbs 31. It does this awesome job of describing this woman, but never actually tells us who this woman is. And side note, the reason why wisdom is described as a woman is because the Hebrew word for wisdom is a feminine word. And so that's why it's described as a woman. Not because it's actually a woman, but because it's a feminine word the, word, the word wisdom, right? So the Proverbs does this awesome job of describing this person, but never actually tells us who it is. It kind of just leaves us there. Hey, there's a person and they're wise but doesn't tell us who it is. The Old Testament leaves it very grainy, very shadowy. You don't know who the person is. Well, praise God that all we we don't just have the Old Testament. We also have the New Testament. And there's a verse in Matthew chapter 11 that I had never noticed before until this week. And it blew my mind when I read it. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He's in this situation. He's talking to the Pharisees. And then he starts talking about his specific behavior, what he was doing in that situation. And here's what it says in the passage. This is crazy. Jesus, describing himself and what he's just done, he says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And you're like, wait, what? Jesus, you're talking about yourself. Why do you go from the masculine to the feminine? In Matthew 11, after describing what he has just done, Jesus says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So Jesus is taking the woman of Proverbs, the personification of wisdom, and saying the only person who can actually live this out is me. And you're like, oh, well, you're kind of jumping to conclusions. That's not really what he's saying. You're kind of jumping. Well, let me give you more scripture because there's more in the Bible. Look what it says next. Then, in Colossians, it says, describing Jesus, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, all wisdom is found in Jesus. Okay? No, but I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. Then, in First Corinthians, it says, listen to this. It is because of him, God the Father, it is because of him that in Christ Jesus, he says, who has become for us the wisdom of God. Jesus came down, and one of the things he did that we don't ever talk about is he became for us the wisdom of God. Why did Jesus have to be the wisdom of God? Because we are the fools of God. And so Jesus, the only wise one, was treated like a fool so that the fools can be treated like they're wise. That's why Jesus came to do it. Jesus is the fulfillment of wisdom. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Listen, wisdom is not a, sense, a set of principles that you learn. Wisdom is a person you fall in love with. Can I get an amen for that? Is that okay? Can to get an amen? That's what this passage is ultimately about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any of the women here. It's about Jesus. And just in case you don't believe me yet, just in case there's even a shadow of a doubt, let me prove to you that it has nothing to do with you women. Because then it says, she is clothed. And the word there in the Hebrew is, she has a garment put over her by someone else. She is clothed with strength. The word strength there means mighty. It means strong. The word dignity means majesty. It means glory. Listen, you're not strong and you're not majestic. Someone had to put that robe on you. Someone had to dress you with that. And the person who clothes you is Jesus. Jesus gives you his robes of righteousness, takes your rags of sinfulness. And the reason why you can be robed with strength and dignity is not because of what you do, but because of what he did. But I'm not done yet. Because then in verse 26, it says she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Listen, man, when I found out what the word faithful meant in Hebrew, it meant literally last night, when I found out what that word meant, I literally started dabbing at my desk. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. I kid you not. It was like this instantaneous thing. I got so excited. Because here's what the word faithful means. This is crazy. The word faithful in Hebrew is the word hesed. Now, for those of you who don't know what the word hesed means, it is the un the unrelenting, faithful, loving kindness of God. In Exodus chapter 34, when God reveals himself to Moses, he describes himself as the Hesed God. The loving, kindness, faithful God. So Hesed is like the Old Testament word for gospel. It says that this woman is so infatuated with Jesus, she's so in love with the gospel... That the gospel comes out of her mouth to other people. But listen, not just to other people, but most importantly to herself. Because the person who most needs to be reminded of the gospel is her. That her worth doesn't come from what she does from God, for God, but what he did for her. Her worth leads to her works. Her, her, her initiative flows from her identity. Her activity flows from her approval. She knows who she is, and so then she does what she has to do. And then, last one, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The word fear there can almost seem negative, but here's what the word fear means. It means to be in awe of someone, to, be, uh, 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 to subject yourself to someone in light of their power and their glory. Listen, you're going to fear God either way. So, so if you look at Proverbs 31 as a list of rules, you're going to fear him with a punitive fear. That if you don't do what you have to do, you're going to be punished. But the beautiful thing about it is that if you look at Proverbs 31, not as a ladder that you need to climb up to get to God, but as a cross that God came down to die on, you still have fear, but it's no longer a punitive fear. It is a parental fear. The fear changes. So Proverbs 31 has nothing to do with you. And to the degree that you accept that, To the degree that you believe that. This is what's so counterintuitive about the gospel. When you admit you can't fulfill Proverbs 31 and rely on the person who did fulfill Proverbs 31, he actually starts to make you fulfill Proverbs 31. It's crazy. But that's what the gospel does. Listen, mom, you're a mom here. Your identity and your value doesn't come from who you are as a mother, but it comes from who you are as God's daughter. Praise be to God that in Proverbs, in particular Proverbs 31, wisdom is not a set of principles that you have to memorize, but it's a person that you get to fall in love with. Amen.